Okay, I know you have a deep question this morning, and that is, why is he wearing those shoes, right? That's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, somebody didn't see it. Okay, uh, Logan, actually, in the sound booth, he has a pair of these also. My son has a pair of these, and there's a story behind it, okay? I, um, it, was, it was the night before my surgery, and we were meeting my daughter. Um, my son, Josh, was there, and we were meeting for dinner, and uh, uh, we were waiting for them, and so we were walking around the town square there in, in Jacksonville, and uh, we went into a van store. And we're in the van store, and I see the shoes that Seth has, and I've never had a pair of vans. And so I'm thinking, you know, I could die on the table tomorrow <laughs> and not have a pair of Vans. So that was my excuse. They didn't have a 12 and a half, but they had a 13, so I went ahead and got them. Okay, something that I do want to share um, with you all this morning is Tiffany, who sings in the band. Um, Tiffany has been with us for a very long time, and um, she wanted me to share with you this morning that uh, her son has gone through a big transition time in his life. Um, let's talk a very good turn for the better, and, and things are going really well with her son. He just received Christ um, and was baptized, yes. And he's, he's like actually involved in, in this church. It's a startup church, and Tiffany is wanting to go there to be supportive of him and uh, encourage him in his faith. And so we want to pray for her right now and send her with our blessings, but I want you to know she'll come back to visit. You said you would. I'm not, I'm not making that up, right? Okay, I'm holding her accountable. You all heard her, right? She's going to come back. Uh, she's going to attend there for now um, to be supportive of him. So um, would you pray with me for her? Lord, we, we pray for Tiffany right now. We thank you for her ministry here and her presence. And we send her. And we thank you for what you're doing in her son's life, in his family, and her, her grandchildren. And we thank you for that, God. You are a God of miracles. There are people sitting here today who I've seen that happen with. And how you do it, I don't know. But you do it. You're a God of miracles. And you make such a difference, Lord. And I thank you uh, for him coming to the knowledge of you. Because the world is a better place. Because one other person, someone else, is following you and your teachings. And we thank you for that. We send Tiffany with your blessings, God. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said. Okay, hug on Tiffany too if you want to. She's going to cry though. I probably, she's going to cry. All right. Well, last week, okay, oh, these things. These things, some of these may still be on your chairs. Remember what you're supposed to do with that. If you don't have one, there's some up here. It's our Gospel of Luke series. This is a convenient way for you to invite people to church, okay? You can leave it in the menu. You can leave it on the table when you go to lunch. You can give it to a friend. Hey, this is the church that I go to, someone maybe that doesn't go to church. So take those with you, please. There's some still around here. I don't, they, they're not doing any good here, are they? No, so take them with you, take them with you, because you're, you're out there, and I just pray that you would do that. But last week, we covered the third chapter of Luke, which I told you consisted of three things, right? There was the witness in the ministry of John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus, including the witness from God himself, the voice from heaven, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased, and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And last, last week, I left you hanging a little bit, didn't I, right? Left you hanging a little bit on this issues of the genealogies of Jesus with Matthew versus the Gospel of Luke and the placement of Luke's genealogy. I told you Matthew starts his Gospel with the genealogy of Jesus, right? He starts it 
with the genealogy, which makes sense, right? Matthew starts also his genealogy with Abraham, and he works his way forward through the generations all the way to King David and then all the way to Jesus the Messiah. But he starts with Abraham and comes forward. Matthew is obviously writing to people of Jewish descent, okay? Because he starts with Abraham, who is, after all, the father of Judaism. Then he goes to King David, who is the military hero and Messiah, military Messiah, the greatest king ever of Israel. And then he goes all the way to Jesus, who he identifies as the son of David and the son of Abraham. That's Matthew and his genealogy. The genealogy of Luke is very different. It's, he's obviously writing to non-Jews, to Gentiles, which is who we are, people like us, non-Jews. In his genealogy, which, by the way, is Mary's lineage, Matthew's was Joseph's lineage, Luke is Mary's lineage, he starts with Jesus, who he calls, almost like in parentheses, the supposed son of Joseph. Because he's not Joseph's son, right? He's God's son. So he says that, so that makes sense with the line of Mary. And then he goes backward from Jesus through the generations to King David, like, like Matthew, then to Abraham, like Matthew, but then he goes past Abraham to Noah, all the way back to Adam, who he identifies as the son of God. So, because Adam, you see, Adam had no father, right? He had no father but God, right? He actually had no mother either. And we don't, we're not even sure he had a belly button, Right? I mean, let's be honest. We're not even sure he had a belly button. So Adam had no father but God. Jesus had no father but God. That's a clue for us right there. And, and Luke puts them right there together. Okay, Luke is not just introducing Jesus as the son of Abraham, the father of Judaism, but he's introducing Jesus also as the son of Adam, the son of God, the father of all humanity. That's really important. The father of all humanity, which includes us. It's a good thing. The Gentiles. This is thematic throughout all of Luke. Remember what the angel said to the shepherds in chapter 2, verse 8, in the Gospel of Luke? He said, behold, I what? I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. All the people, not just some of the people, not just the Jews. All of the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Then in the temple... When Jesus is being circumcised on the eighth day, according to Luke, Simeon quotes the Old Testament that this child, Jesus, would be a, quote, light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This genealogy ties right in with that theme. Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Jewish people. True, no doubt, for sure. But he came not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, for all people. For us, for us, brought us together with that. Okay, here comes what I teased you with last week so you would come back this week. Okay, how many of you are back this week because I said, oh, you're going to have to come back? Raise your hand. Well, I guess I wasn't that effective. Oh, well. But I'm glad you came back. I'm not complaining. I'm glad. I'm glad. Even if that's not why you came back. Okay, I told you that the placement of Luke's genealogy is very curious. It's very curious. It's unusual. 
Okay? Jesus doesn't start with it like Matthew does. He doesn't even put it right before the birth of Jesus in the, in the beginning of the second chapter. Luke places it, it's very strange, places it at the end of chapter 3. It comes right before the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. That's a little bit, it's a little bit unusual. Okay? That's where we're going to start this week. And that's why I saved this to introduce chapter 4. I was intentional about it. Okay? Luke not only links Jesus to King David and Abraham, but to Adam, the son of God, the father of all humanity. Luke is presenting Jesus as the new Adam and son of God right before Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And Luke is in t if Luke is anything, he is intentional. It's very intentional. So listen, it is, listen to this, it is Jesus, this descendant of Adam, the son of God, who, this is why he does it, who will overthrow the devil and usher in the kingdom of God. I think that Luke wants us to see Jesus' temptation in the wilderness as a recapitulation, a recap of Adam and Eve's temptation in the garden. That's why he goes all the way back to Adam. Where the first Adam failed... The second Adam, Jesus, would succeed. Luke wants us to know that. Jesus, the Son of God, would prevail over the devil. He would prevail over temptation, like Adam did not, signaling the beginning of his ministry to preach, proclaim, and usher in the kingdom of God, which is us being brought back together with the God. The Spirit of God is not separated from us, but it dwells in us. Jesus would not fail in his mission to be the savior of the world because he is going to stay with God's plan. He's not going to fail. He's not going to be tempted away from it. He's not going to be sidetracked. And that's where we're going today in chapter 4 of Luke. In the second to last verse of Luke chapter 4, Jesus said this. It's the last part. It's where we'll end up today. Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. It's one of the reasons Jesus came into the world, to preach the kingdom of God and to preach the good news. Pretty cool. But that's why Luke's genealogy is where it is and not where Matthew's is. Luke wants us to see that and know that. So listen as I read Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, about the temptations of Jesus. It should be up on the screen for you. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they, when they had ended, he became hungry. Remember that. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Just a, maybe like a vision or something. In a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. For it has been handed over to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Anything else is idolatry. Jesus is faithful. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, which is the highest point of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. 
And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Interesting. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are here this morning. We don't have to ask you to be here. You promise you are. Wherever two or three gather in your name, you're in our midst. You're actually in us and with us. You promise that. You've not left us as orphans. I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts this morning, these scriptures from Luke chapter 4, the way they fall upon our ears and our minds and our spiritual understanding, that it would bring honor to you and that it would renew our minds. It would renew our minds and help us to understand you better so that we can follow you more fully. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, first of all, the temptation passages in Luke are almost exactly the same as Matthew. There are three of them, okay? But they're a little bit different. In Matthew, the last two are switched. They're just flipped, but the same temptations. That's Matthew, okay? Almost the same. Mark has the temptations of Jesus, but they're super short. They're super short with almost no details. I was talking to Greg last week about how Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is almost like just a pamphlet compared to the to the book of Luke, to the Gospel of Luke. It's almost like not even a book. And he uses words like immediately just to go from event to event to event to event. event. Okay? So Mark says this. This is, his, um, this is his temptation passage. He says, And immediately the Spirit impelled him to go into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. That's it. That's Mark. That's Mark's um, wilderness temptations the gospel of john doesn't mention the temptations of christ at all john just doesn't even address it but of course luke knowing what we know about luke he gave us plenty of details right that's luke that's luke um, listen to verse uh, verses one and two again of chapter four jesus full of the spirit returned from the jordan and was led around by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. So Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The first thing I thought about when I was studying, studying this week and, and reading it, last week preparing for this, the first thing I thought about was the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus says, pray in this way. And what does he say? He says, lead us not into and deliver us from... Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I pray that prayer all the time. You have to know that. I hope that's comforting to you, right? I pray that all the time. The, I pray, Lord, don't lead me into the wilderness of temptation. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be tempted. I don't want to fail like Adam and Eve. I don't want to disappoint you, and I don't want to disappoint others, right? I pray it all the time. But I'm not Jesus, right? Oh, but I am his, right? I'm not Jesus, but I am one of his. I'm a saint. I'm a follower. See, Jesus can take the temptation. He proved that. He proved that in the, in, the, in the temptations. So Luke shows us that the first Adam, son of God, failed. But the second Adam, Jesus, the son of God, prevailed. He prevailed over temptation. And because of that, I want you to know that affects us. We have hope. 
in our battle against sin and temptation. We are not helpless. Before Jesus, we were. We're not helpless. Jesus is showing us that we can prevail and remain faithful and obedient to God because we are his. We are his. We're Christians. We have hope. We can follow in his footsteps by the power of the Holy Spirit, which he provided. Luke gets to that in the first two chapters of Acts. As his followers, we have it now. We have the Holy Spirit in us to help us in our battle against sin and temptation. We have Jesus. Amen? We have Jesus in us. Jesus was tempted, but without sin. But without sin. He did not give in. And we don't have to either. Somebody say amen. Right? We don't have to either. Right? We have the power that he has given us in that battle. Okay, first of all, let's admit that this whole story is very strange, right? It's very weird. It's a, it's a very unusual story. Um, right after his baptism in the Jordan, Jesus is in this duel with the devil. It's like this spiritual chess game of move and counter move. It's like a karate exhibition where they're sparring with each other. It's Jesus and the devil. It reminds me of that song, When the Devil Went Down to Georgia. Charlie D'Angelo's, you know, Charlie can play that fiddle, right? But the bottom line for the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness is Satan is tempting Jesus not to trust God's plan. That's the bottom line. He's trying to derail Jesus by giving him all sorts of desirable things, presenting them to him that can distract all of us, not just Jesus, all of us, from what is most important in life. And of course, that is faith in God, trusting God with his will and his direction for our lives. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? Trusting God. He's our father. He's our father. He loves us. So verse 1, Jesus is full of the Spirit. He returns from the Jordan where he was baptized, and he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, eating nothing, and he gets hungry like any human being would, right? I would not um, have, I would have been hungry much sooner. I would have lasted maybe two hours, right? And then I'm wanting a Stavros pizza, right? But he's out there 40 days and he gets hungry. But as the devil does with us more times than not, he tempts Jesus, oh, at the perfect time and with the perfect thing. That's something we can learn. We can learn here. Satan tempts him with the perfect thing at the perfect time. It's bread and he's hungry. Now, there is nothing wrong with bread. There's nothing wrong with being hungry. There's nothing wrong. Uh, We all need to eat food. This is not, you know anorexic thing okay it's all okay but that's not what this is about this is not about food okay it's not about food this is about temptation jesus is fasting in preparation for his ministry and his mission satan is trying to derail that he's trying to derail that he's trying to go against get him to go against god's will and god's plan this first temptation is about wanting to satisfy wants and needs with things that give us pleasure rather than Trusting God. See, we're supposed to go to God to meet our needs, not to all of these different distractions, pleasure, power, whatever. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to get that from God. And notice, the devil is also planting doubt and taunting Jesus to prove who he is. He's like, oh, if you are the son of God, it's like talking trash. If this were the NFL, they'd throw a flag for taunting. Christy, they'd throw a flag. 
Not allowed to do that. The devil is taunting him. He's talking trash with Jesus. Prove it. Prove it. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And so the devil's first move, that's his first move, that's his first punch, that's his first jab. And Jesus is like, hi Okay? Jesus is like, hi And then he makes his move. He comes around with a roundhouse kick. He answers with scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew takes it a little further. It's a quote. But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So there are two parallels here that I want you to see and understand. Two parallels with the temptation of Jesus. The first one is the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. Luke has set that up. It was food and pleasure and knowledge to be like God. It's a pride thing. Genesis 3.6 says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, oh, there's food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, there's pleasure, and that the tree was desirable to be wise, to be like God, knowing good and evil, there's the pride, pride, and they give in. They're tempted, they take the bait, they take the bite, she and Adam took it and ate it. They failed in their battle against temptation. They failed. And God didn't make it really hard. He said, you can eat of how many trees? All the trees in the garden. Just not this one. Right? Just not this one. So they had what they needed, but they failed. They went. They didn't trust God. That's the bottom line of these. They didn't trust God, but they went their own way, which was not God's way. Another Old Testament parable, um, excuse me, parallel of Jesus uh, in the temptations can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's talking about the wilderness experience. Remember there's 40 years in the wilderness. How many days was Jesus tempted? 40 days. There's already a pattern there. Okay. So listen as I read Deuteronomy. It's not going to be up on the screen, by the way. Um, the first three verses. Chapter 8. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. God wants us to be obedient. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments. Listen, he humbled you and let you be hungry. And fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand, here it is, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. The pattern in the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, three times, and it repeats two more times, but with variations of temptations. Next in verses 5 through 8, the devil tempts Jesus with possessions and power. And that's a very tempting thing. In our culture, what do people want? Possessions. Power. Okay? He shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give it to you. It's mine to give and it will be yours if you worship me. It's yours. Check. Devil throws another punch. Devil makes another move. Advantage. Devil. Okay? Again, Jesus answers with a scripture. Hiya. Right? Hiya. Counter move. Counter move. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Check. Advantage Jesus. It's going on. It's a wrestling match. 
Next in verses 9 through 13, the devil attempts, excuse me, the devil tempts him a third time by placing him on the highest point in the temple and taunts him again, talking trash. If you are the son of God, right? If you are, you're not, but if you were, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down here. Then Satan quotes Psalm 91, which I think is very ironic because it's a psalm that's meant to be deeply comforting to, the, to his people. So he quotes it to Jesus. The devil does. He will command his angel concerning you to guard you, that, you, that they will bear you up so that you will not stub your toe. John Blake translation, right? You're not even going to stub your toe. You'll be all right, just jump. Prove who you are, okay? And again, Jesus answers with the scripture. Haya. He comes back. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. It reminds me, okay, how many of you watch Marvel movies, Iron Man, any of those? Oh, a lot of you. This is going to be a great illustration. <laughs> Douglas, you and Jake might know this. In the last, one of the last scenes, Captain Marvel, she, she catches the guy who has deceived her and told her she was someone she wasn't. And he says, come on, let's have it out right now. Just you and me. And she said, I don't have to prove anything to you. And boom, she blows him away. That's what Jesus does here. I don't have to prove anything to you. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Checkmate. Checkmate. Jesus. And it says that the devil left him until, this is very important, it says, until an opportune time. You see, because the temptations of Jesus were not just in the wilderness. It said he hit him with all the temptations, but it, it went all the way through his ministry. And there are many places, but I'm just going to give you two examples so you don't think, what's he talking about? Opportune times for the devil. Jesus just tells the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. That's what he says. I'm going there, I'm going to be killed. And then Peter comes up and says, no, you're not. Not on my watch. I'm not going to let it happen. And then Jesus says something interesting to Peter that a lot of people don't understand. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Right. Because Satan was using Peter to tempt Jesus to do what? To not go through with God's plan. Same theme. In the Garden of Gethsemane, I went ahead and read it this week. Uh, it's quite a depiction. We're going to get to it later. But Jesus, it says, is in agony. He's in agony. All right, and the, and the angels are ministering to him. He's, he's in agony. And he actually says to God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He's tempted not to go through with it. But what does he say then? What's he say next? Not my will, but yours be done. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded again and again and teaches us some very important lessons about overcoming temptation and trusting God when the evil one comes against us with accusations or with temptations, with promises of pleasure, power, possessions, and pride. So when the devil says to you, look at you, you're a mess, your life is a train wreck, you're nothing, God can't possibly love you. You're not a son. You're not a daughter of the Most High God. You're nothing. You're not worthy of God. And what we need to do is answer like Jesus with faith and with Scripture. We need to say to him, when he comes up, we need to say, you're right, I'm not worthy, but he is. And I happen to be with him, right? I'm with him. I'm with him. And answer him with scripture. Ephesians 2.8 says we're saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves. 
It's the gift of God. Not by works that I could say, oh, I did this or I did that. No. It's grace through faith. And that I am created and created for good works in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand. Answer the devil with scripture. Hiya! Right? Come back at him. We need to learn that from Jesus when he comes against us. And he is. He's like a ro- I'm not one of those people that sees the devil behind every tree and blames the devil for every little thing. That's not me. You need to know that. That's not me. But he is active. Okay? And he wants to derail you. He wants to do the same thing to you. Okay? He's like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. Verses 14 and 15 mark the start of Jesus' public ministry. Let me read that for you. 14 and 15. It says, And Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Praised by all. So things start out great in Galilee. Okay? Word travels fast about Jesus. He's amazing. He does these amazing miracles. He teaches and preaches with authority. He's amazing. But not so much, up at, and that's in Galilee, but not so much in Nazareth, which is about to happen. In Nazareth, it's his hometown. Um, but as I read this, okay, I want you to listen for these things. As I read this next section, I want you to listen. Jesus goes to the synagogue in Nazareth as he has done since he was a child. This is his hometown. But now things are different. And the reason they're different is because his time has come. Right? His time has come. He's starting his ministry. He's starting the mission that he came to do. He reads a passage from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, and it is a prophecy about him, the Messiah. They don't realize it, but it's a prophecy about him. And it's a very well-known messianic prophecy. He chooses it, and he reads it for everyone in the synagogue. And he says this. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what he's saying is, this is about me. He doesn't say that, but that's what he's saying. They don't get it, but that's what he's saying. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everyone was impressed with his choice and eloquence, but then things go south. Okay? Things go downhill quickly, and that's an understatement. It's also a pun, because after that, they drive him out of town, try and throw him off a cliff. You talk about going downhill, right? That's going downhill fast when somebody's throwing you off a hill. All right? So they turn on him like that when he refers to himself as a prophet and calls them out on their attitudes and arrogance. So listen for that in 16 through 30. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read like he had done since he was young. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? To set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. This was an E.F. Hutton moment. Right? Right? Everybody's listening. Everybody's watching. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. 
And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Yeah, I think it's Joseph's son, right? And he said to them, no doubt you will quote the proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever you heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown. They want him to do all the miracles and all the things he was doing at Capernaum. But for some reason, we don't know why, he chooses not to. He could have, but he chooses not to. And I think it's to reveal what's in their heart. He said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. Elijah. He refers back to the prophets. When the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over the land, there was a lot of suffering going on. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And gives, he gives her stuff to feed her and makes cakes and all that, the story. And there were many, he says this, then he says in verse 27, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elijah, which is also a prophet, but not Elijah, Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed but Naaman, only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people, listen, it says all the people in the synagogue, they turn on him, they're filled with rage, and they heard, when they heard these things, and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which the city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he was going to hill, downhill fast, right? But passing through their midst, as Jesus, only Jesus can do, he went his way. See ya. That's what happened. He went his way. So after Jesus went his way, I'm sure he's thinking to himself, that went well. No. <laughs> no. He's not thinking that went well. But look at all, all the witnesses that Luke has provided for us from the very beginning. Just, all, just right up here in chapter 4. Luke has many witnesses. And the last two, guess who they were? God the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right? That's my Darth Vader. Where's John? There you go. John loves that. Okay? It's also Mufasa. Simba. Right? Okay. So... God witnesses that he is the Messiah. Then Jesus, right here, witnesses to himself using the prophet Isaiah. So Jesus is often running with somewhat mixed reviews here in Luke, but now the clock is ticking. His time has come. Three years to do what he needs to accomplish before his crucifixion and resurrection. And one of those things, huge one of those things, is to reveal who he is to the world, specifically, and most of all, his disciples and why he has come into the world. In this next section, verses 31 through 37, Luke shows us that Jesus the Messiah has power and authority over evil and demonic forces. And where did we just see that? In the temptations. We already saw that in the temptations, and you're going to see it right here. So follow along as I read 31 through 37. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority, right? Not like the scribes and the Pharisees. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed with the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. He said that to Jesus. Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So here's another witness, right? The demon witnessing to him but Jesus rebukes him saying be quiet come out of him and when the demon had had thrown him down not Jesus but the person he was in thrown him down in the midst of the people he came out of him without doing him any harm 
And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking to one another, saying, what is this message? Which translation is, what the heck is going on? What in the world is happening here? Okay? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. They obey him. He has power and authority over them. And the report about him was spreading to every locality in the surrounding district. So the word about Jesus of Nazareth is spreading to all the surrounding district around the Sea of Galilee. And he's in Capernaum. He's in Capernaum. Capernaum is Peter's hometown. Okay? It is right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee on the northwest corner. Sandy and I visited there when we went to Israel. And there are ruins of two synagogues there in Capernaum. One is dated to the 4th century. That's the youngest one. And the second is from the time of Jesus, the first century. I have a picture of Sandy right there. It's pretty cool thinking you know, Jesus was teaching in this synagogue, this synagogue, because that's the synagogue he's talking about. That's the synagogue that was there. So there in Capernaum, Jesus crosses paths with Simon, who is later Simon what? Peter. And he goes to his house, and there it is revealed that Jesus has power and authority not just over evil and demonic forces, but over sickness and disease. Sickness and disease. So listen to verse 38 and 39. He's at Peter's house. Then he got up and left the synagogue that we just talked about and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law, that tells us that Simon is married, Peter is married, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him, Jesus, to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and, and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. The rest of chapter 4, okay, uh, the rest of chapter 4, specifically the next several verses, reiterates what we just saw in the last nine verses, this last part of chapter 4. Jesus the Messiah has power and authority over evil and demonic forces as well as sickness and disease. That is all reinforced right here in these last four verses, starting at verse 40. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also, that's sickness, okay, demons also were coming out uh, were coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God. They're witnessing for Jesus, right? Rebuking them. He would, uh, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. They knew. Luke wants us to know that. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. They didn't want him to leave because he was bringing so much good like Jesus does. Jesus brings so much good. His followers bring so much good. But he said to them, and this is where we kind of started, I must preach the kingdom of God in other cities also. For this, I was sent for this so he kept preaching in the synagogues of Judea, which is the southern part of Israel. Southern part of Israel. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would let all of this soak in. The synagogue is still there. Peter lived there. Jesus was there. 
He is the Son of God, and He is here. He is who He said He was. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, foretold by Isaiah. I pray that you would help that just grip our hearts, that we may have confidence in what we share with others about our faith. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and what he's done for us and in us. For we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, So Jesus came into the world, as Isaiah said, Jesus came into the world to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to those who cannot see, especially people who cannot see him. Right? He came to set free those who were oppressed. Right? To set people free. Those who were oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus came into the world to usher in the kingdom of God. To reconcile us to God. To bring us back together with God. To make us right with him. To bridge the chasm of separation that was caused by sin and the failure of Adam and Eve. On the cross, Jesus said it was finished. Because he did everything. And ours is to believe. Amen? Ours is to be his. So that's chapter 4. Next week we're going to be looking at Jesus calling the disciples, healing leprosy, raising a paralyzed man up to walk, forgiving sins, and going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees. Would you stand? Brothers and sisters, go now into the world in peace to serve the Lord with gladness of heart. Loving him. Loving him. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. And never forget, never forget, Jesus said, I am with you always. Even when you are alone, you are not alone. Because he is with you and in you. I will be with you always. Amen? Amen. See you next week for chapter 5. Read ahead, please. God bless you all.